turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Should pastors endorse candidates from the pulpit? And then a leadership lesson as gas prices continue to rise. The harsh reality of gentle parenting. And later, we're returning to the conversation about quiet quitting. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Hope that you are having a wonderful day. Aubrey, tomorrow I'm going to go pick my daughter up at school and bring her home for fall break. She's so not been home. Fun. She's really, really excited. Wow, so, so this is our first time coming home, like sleeping yes, in her bed, yes, walking she's through excited. the bedroom, doing a lot of laundry, I bet. I'm sure it'll take her about 48 hours before she's going, can I go back now? I'm ready. Ready to go back to college. <laughs> you remember how There's that was. There's a lot more freedom there. That was yep. the parent that makes me angry. But uh, <laughs> there was a very, so I keep talking about my kids and yeah. college and this and that. We uh we blew past at least I don't know maybe you did it with Catherine earlier in the week but you and I have yet to discuss the fact that you have a licensed driver in your I home. I have a licensed driver in my home and it is wild. Kevin took our oldest son on Saturday to go uh, walk into the DMV get his and get his license. And that day, so I remember so clearly getting my license and like begging my parents to go to the mall. <laughs> that was like the first time I drove to the mall by myself. I actually hit a curb that day. I've never told anyone that until just now. This is my confession. But my son wanted to go to the dollar store with his friends and buy candy. So that's what he did. But yes, it was a big like that's new awesome. era at our house. I was panicking. I was definitely like, I'm not prone to anxiety just generally, but when he drove away, I was literally like, Jesus, please wrap your arms around <laughs> Jesus, him take the wheel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, congratulations you. to Thank your you. son. That is a, there are these rites of passage, right? Yeah. There are these both for the kid, but also for the parent going, uh, oh, by the way, we'll discuss it another time. Enjoy those insurance payments. Yeah, they, that's gone up. That has gone up. I'm not going to lie. And you were not aware of something I told you. Yeah. It, they go up more for sons than they do for well, daughters. I, I actually had heard that. I okay. just didn't know if that was a true statement true. or not. But it is. I feel it. It is very we true. We will be eating less cereal <laughs> in our house. <laughs> no. All right, Aubrey. It is po- politics season. Yes, we are uh, basically a month out from the midterm elections. Isn't and that there's crazy. It wow. really is. There's lots of big elections. You and I are going to be talking a lot about this over the next month. Mm-hmm. I feel like what we're going to be talking a lot about is when people say things that we're like, I don't know about that. Yeah. That feels hypocritical. It is. We could do an entire segment every day here, I think, on the hypocrisy I heard a politician say. That's probably accurate, <laughs> so, isn't it? But what I want to play for you right now is not a politician, but it is a pastor uh, from Atlanta, an AME church, Reverend William D. Watley. Uh, he got up in his congregation and he said this this past Sunday. Let's take a listen. I'm asking you to stand. Because, as has already been announced, voting matters, and this is a very critical 
election and the stats so far are showing that we as men are not voting as we should for Stacey Abrams. We're the head. And if we're the head of our houses and our families, we cannot leave from behind. On her worst day, her absolutely worst day, she's 10 times better than Brian Kemp. All right, Aubrey, you and I spend a lot of time talking about how on the the right side of things, on the Republican yeah. side of things, things have really gotten crazy enmeshed between politics and pastors, yes. politics and churches. Yes. So equal opportunity. Let's go to the other side of the yeah. aisle. This pastor literally said you're not doing your job because you're not voting for Stacey Abrams, right. who you have to vote for. Right. This was not even hidden. This was uh, what you and I have been saying. Like, can't. First of all, I thought this was illegal. Openly but, politicking from like, the pulpit, say, you mean? Vote for this person. Uh, yeah, yeah. But two, yet another example of what we talk about so often on this show, where the pulpit and voting and politics, like they they should be separate. Mm-hmm. But they are just not separate. And I think we're going to see this more and more as the as the uh, first Tuesday in November comes our way. You know what I have to be honest about? This What's is going to seem like I'm taking this conversation in a different direction. Maybe I am. I was more angry about the way he addressed the men. I didn't like him saying, you. men, you, you stand up. You're the leaders. You're the no, head I think of the household. He... You're the... I was like, excuse me, you've got a whole... I can hear the women in your audience. Okay, you I heard that differently. a whole group of women. Why are you calling out the men to stand up as the leaders and they need to vote? And that made me more mad than what he no, did. I Although think... that said... Let me make you feel okay. better first. Okay. Here's how I heard it. Okay. I think they have some internal statistics of their church that say the women are getting behind her and the men aren't. The women are getting behind oh, because he had gotcha. him. He said, stand oh, okay, up. And he said, okay. we are lagging men. We are lagging behind. But yeah, no, he, he did. He said, we well, are. Then, you can't lead from behind. To me, then, this felt very patriarchal and misogynistic. Uh, I, I that think, made me more mad. Even I think he went, the, uh, I think he went uh, ahead of the household in order to kind of be a little get them going. But yeah, I didn't like uh, it. at the beginning. He said men were lagging behind. The women yeah. are doing this. Uh, but with that said. I just, you and I are both pastors. I can't imagine getting up and telling my people, you're failing because you're not voting for candidate X. You're not getting people out to vote for person X. Uh, No matter how much I, I I just can't imagine it. But uh, I think you've said the same thing, but we're starting to feel like the outliers here. Well, I think the hard part is, and I want to be mindful of this contextually. I do think the black church in America has been way more involved politically than the white church in America has been. So for you and I to do that at our churches, and my husband has gotten pretty close to doing that, not quite out right done it it would make our particular context very upset and very angry no matter who you said they should vote for like in our church context people do not want the pastor leading them politically they don't even want to know i kevin and i have had people saying to us we don't even want to know who you vote for like so so i do think there's some church context here we need to be mindful of that said i don't i think you could get up and say hey vote 
as Christians, I you need to be. A, yes. Uh, but to endorse a candidate feels very problematic so to me. I do get what you're saying about the context, but let me push back. One, the law is the same across the board. Like you're not what allowed. Is the law? I don't you're think not I know this. allowed to endorse a candidate from a church pulpit. A pastor's not allowed to no, do that. No, a church can't. Okay. A church can't. Gotcha. Uh, but it has okay. often been looked the other way. Okay. Uh, and two, I think. If it's going to be okay, it's got to be okay across the board or not okay across the board. But I do get what you say. Contextually, the African-American church has tended yeah. in this direction more often than not. I'm still just not. mad about our men. All, th- this men as head of the household still makes me mad. The, I'm sorry. That's not biblical. Like, I, do, I, I can't get that makes me more mad than the illegal thing he's doing. Than the illegal. <laughs> the, his choice of words yes. is bothering me yes, more. It is. Than, I'm stuck on it. Than the breaking of the law. It, yeah, and so, uh, but okay. Back to your point, Brian. I would say this: yeah. if you're going to be mad about the whole Christian nationalism umbrella, it's got to go both ways. Fair. It has to go both ways. Fair. It has to cut across political spectrum, Fair. races, uh, South versus North, whatever else. Yeah. It yeah. has to cut across. And oh, I'm, I'm I don't know that I'm mentally prepared for all that we're going to hear it's in the coming week. It's about to get crazy, and we've seen this happen because we see the candidates are now appealing to like Christian yes. thought or Christian votership and the Bible. But now we're seeing pastors do the opposite thing yes. with candidates. It is definitely going to be an interesting next few months. It'll make for fun fodder for the show. Buckle up, people! Yeah. Buckle up. About to get cold this weekend. It is about to get frigid this weekend. I'm sure there will be a fire in the Samson house as it is decorated for Halloween or <laughs> yep. Thanksgiving or early Christmas. Yep. Maybe a Yom Kippur. I'm not yep. sure what you're decorating for right now. Yeah, we we decorate early, as you know, for many things. <laughs> yes. But right now, just to be clear, we have our fall decor up. We will wait until November 1st to put up our Christmas tree. Okay. We usually, uh, to be fair, we wait until the 3rd after our son's birthday. Can I make a statement that's going to make you angry? I don't you'll think it'll probably, make me angry because you'll, you'll probably disagree with this. It won't be the first time I've ever heard it, but go ahead. I don't think there is such thing as fall decor. Oh, Brian. I don't think that's a thing. Every woman in the world, in America, who shops at Target and Hobby Lobby laughed hysterically at you I just now. I understand they've created you fall decor. They, you, my friend, <laughs> you are knew, a fool. know not of what you speak. They've created <laughs> fall. We need that just as a drop. You are a fool. You are a fool. I need a button. I, I need a button I can push. All right. So one of the bad things going on, culture. I didn't know this was happening. And then one day I looked up and I was like, wait a minute. How did gas get to four fifty again? Thank you. I noticed that over the weekend, and I thought to myself, "What has happened?" Well, here's what was going on for a while. You know, when gas prices were going up, that's all we heard about. So we we're all very <laughs> cognizant of it, and then they started going down, uh-huh. and that was all we heard about. Yes, I haven't heard a thing about them suddenly going back I up. Just you looked just looked at it. I was like. It. Is 4.30 actually what it was? Wait, no, we got under 4. I started almost gaslighting myself. Like, am I remembering wrong? I thought we got under 4. Why are we over 4 again? Is that a pun? Gaslighting? Oh, that was that a, a pun? Some co- a subconscious pun that <laughs> I didn't even know I did. <laughs> and that was kind of brilliant. Okay. Wow. So, but I, I want to do what we do here. I want to take this and, and have some learning from it. When the gas prices were going down, yes, I think it's fair to say the Biden administration was doing a regular victory lap. Okay. Hey, uh, did you? I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, the president's official Twitter account. I think I do, but it doesn't come up in my algorithm. Very Almost often. on a daily basis, if not every couple of days, it was highlighting 
the gas prices going down and attributing it to President Biden because it's a victory, right? Sure, sure. Well, now that it's going up, uh, one of the reporters asked the press secretary about this. Now, I will tell you, the reporter is Peter Ducey. He's Fox News. He kind of sees himself in there to stir the pot. Sure, sure. But I actually think he highlights something uh, pretty important about leadership. Listen to this. Thanks, Green. You said the president was responsible for gas prices coming down. Is the president responsible for gas prices going up? So it's a lot more nuance than that, right? Um, Peter, you know this. Uh, there have been global challenges that we have all have de- dealt with. When I say all, meaning other countries as well have dealt with since the pandemic. There's been pandemic and there's been uh, Putin's war. And Putin's war uh, has uh, increased gas prices at the pump. We have seen that over the past several months. And what the president was able to do, uh, he took some historic steps. When you think about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and making sure that he, we were able to do everything that we can to bring that cost down uh, for American families, give them a little bit more of a breathing room. And we saw that. We saw that every day this summer uh, over a, uh, saving American families over a dollar per gallon. And so that is what the president is going to continue to stay focused on, our cons- American consumers. How do we continue uh, to, keep, uh, to keep prices down? That's why we, we did the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. That's why we talk about the CHIPS Act. All of these things are going to help Americans here. All right. Simply put, Aubrey, if you're going to take a victory lap and and take if you're going to say, look how I've helped this or made this go in the right direction, you can't then punt to other circumstances. Right. When it goes in the wrong direction, whether you're a pastor, a teacher uh, or the president, if you're going to own the victory, you have got to own the defeat. You just have to. I mean, that's just almost like leadership 101, even if. It's not, even if it actually isn't your fault, even if it was, I mean, I'm sure she's right about all these things that are causing, right? But, but, but as the leader, you take responsibility, right? And, and if that's the, if that's the party line they want to like say to people, oh, all all these other circumstances, fine, that might be true. Then you also have to say it for the win. That's right. You also have to say well, here's part of the reason why the gas prices have gone up because of this and this and this and this. So, yeah, it's, you know, this does feel like leadership 101. What? You just take it's just like in I mean, in leadership, if, you know, the the one intern really messes things up and that makes you look really bad. You don't go, well, the intern, but as right. a good leader, you have some conversations with the intern. You, of course, correct with the intern, but publicly you take the responsibility right. and blame for it. That's just I don't know. That's just humble leadership. So if I think you make the point to use the example of the White House there, if you're going to answer is it the president's fault that the gases are going, gas prices are going up, and you're going to answer it with, it's nuanced? Yeah. Then a month ago when they said, why are gas prices going down? The it's answer nuanced. is, it's nuanced. Right. Not right. this. You bring up a good point. You and I are both pastors. Boom. Boom. Uh, but leaders out there all over the place, even in your family, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, the, one of the mantles of leadership is that ultimately the buck stops with you. Mm-hmm. And that is, I love when the buck stops with me when things are going great. <laughs> hey, guess who gets to take the victory lap, yeah. right? But when things are bad, yeah. the worst leader you can be is the person who goes, yeah, you know what? 
like you said, the intern, or mm-hmm. yeah, it was the children's director. You know what's or, yeah, hard it was is this. though my my instinct. We've talked, we've joked about this on the show before. Like I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, mm-hmm. and I do want people to think well of me. So my it is not my natural instinct as a leader to go. This was all my responsibility. <laughs> I take full, even though I know that's right. Like I know that's right. I know that's humble. I know that's good leadership. On the inside, I want to be like, oh, but also, if you only knew the yeah, story, like, can I really tell you what happened behind the scenes so you know I am yep. totally innocent? And this, like, that's my like kind of yucky self that comes out. I have to, and again, if whether you're a uh, whether you're in leadership in business, you're leading a group of teachers, you're mentoring someone, you're a parent, you're a grandparent. There is a point in leadership in which you do take responsibility, yeah. right? Especially if you've got, especially if you have influence over a group of people or the Lord has put you in some type of, you know, I hate to use the term authoritative, but overseeing mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm. the buck does have to stop with you, good and bad. Uh, or the other option for you, not you personally, yeah. but leader is don't take the victory lap. Yeah, the, right, right. Me as a pastor, right. let's say things are going great. And people are like, man, I want to cheer you on. And you go, you deflect mm. the praise. This is hey, because you know of my what? team. This is because is of it my team. Then you've got a leg to stand on when you reference team. That's true. For the failures from right. things are struggling. Right. If you're like, hey, the wins are all about me and the losses are all about them. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to lose all credibility and nobody's going to want to be a part of your team. No one is going to want to be a part Why of your team. Why would you ever want to be part yeah, of that team? I, nobody wants to be part of the team where the, the main guy is like throwing you under the bus publicly or not. I think just that not taking responsibility piece is so, so frustrating. Like you're unwilling to be like, nope, I take full responsibility for it. That feels like, again, I'm repeating myself here, but that is like a That's basic... Right. Leadership 101 lesson. There you go. It happens at the highest leadership office there is all the way down and through churches and everything else. Aubrey, that music only means one thing, and it gets me so excited. It's a, it's a segment that we call Grinds My Gears. That's would right. Would you explain Grinds My Gears yes, for our people out there? I would love there? to explain Grinds My Gears. So uh, Brian and I, are we understand very well that there are harsh realities of this world. War in Ukraine is <laughs> one of those. World uh, hunger is one of those. Poverty is one of those. Uh, this is not that. This is the moment where we get to be as shallow as we want to be and basically complain about things that annoy us. So some of our favorite examples have been Brian talking about dogs in strollers. That's right. I think that's actually one of my favorites as well. Me venting about men who wear bejeweled jeans. That's true. You did do that one time. That's the layer of that's the level that we're we're grinding gears about. It is not serious. It is not important It is just us getting to get things off of our chest. There you go. So that's what we do here. This is just because we also believe that the more you let the little things fester, uh, the bigger deal they become. That's true. Mm -hmm. All right. I have a really minor one that uh, and a more of a major one. Would you like my mind? I'm going to I'm going to say this. The minor one might hit close to home for you. Okay, let's save that. You want to save it because start with major. I think for one of the first times I might say something grinds my gears that you probably do. So it's it, not about is it you. about fall decor, Brian? No, no, okay. no, no. <laughs> All right, let me give you the, the other one. Okay, let's do the other one, then we'll go deep. Is it? Re- you don't have dogs. I have two dogs. 
I yes. My I, dogs sit up on the back of a couch and look out the front window. That's what they do all day when they're not playing. <laughs> they just sit on top of this couch. Okay, that's and cute. And they look at it's adorable. Yeah. But you want to know why when it's not adorable? When anything passes our house and they want to bark at it. Oh, that's so annoying. So uh, yeah. uh, not anything, but basically if they see another dog, if someone else is walking a dog, they'll bark at this yes, dog, right? Yes, yes. Another thing they don't enjoy is when delivery people come to our house. Amazon, for instance. Primarily. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, also the mail lady or. Okay. And what, they freak out? Just, but why is this person coming yeah. to our house? Yeah. So sometimes if we spot a delivery person coming, we'll like get the dogs down so they don't see it. We're good to go. Because okay. we have had more than a few things delivered to our house on a daily basis. Okay. So this is what I don't understand. Why do delivery people, Amazon especially, sometimes come to your door, lay everything down outside, and then ring your doorbell? And then walk away. This is a question I ask you know what it myself. Does to my, you know what it does? What? They don't do it all the time. No, they don't. Or they it's ring the doorbell. My dogs lose their minds. Flip out <laughs> when somebody rings the doorbell. And so we have gotten our dogs down. We've got them. They're not going to see the delivery right, person right. we saw coming to the door. They leave it. And all of a sudden, ding dong. Oh. Rah, 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 rah. The dogs just go nuts. And you're sitting there going, why don't you ring the doorbell? I feel like you need the sign that says, do not ring the doorbell. That's not the actual be that problem. But I have wondered that because it's an inconsistent method. It is. Some do, some do. And when they ring the doorbell, I think, oh, I have to sign for it. I need to interact with them for some reason. But most of the time, actually, I would say 99% of the time, they're they already walk walking away. away. And I don't understand it. And I, I just think of... Um, you know, like our producer Laura, who just had a baby. Mm-hmm. She got a baby sleeping. That Amazon person comes the Amazon rings person doorbell. doesn't know if that baby is sleeping, right, or right. if you've got multiple nappers in the house. Yes. Maybe you're just enjoying a nice evening in your mm-hmm. home, watching something, and you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to unwind. And all of a sudden, they're ringing the doorbell, and you're thinking to yourself, "Who who could be at my door?" Yeah, I do. I know you put you nailed it because it is so inconsistent. inconsistent. It would be different if we knew every time FedEx came, right? Every time Amazon came, every time UPS they're came, they're going to ring the doorbell. doorbell. Like if you knew that was coming, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're coming. Then you, you think you've got yeah. everything under control. Like, yeah. Ding dong. And you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, can't handle it. So that grinds my gears. Yeah. I'm trying to think in general, I don't like people coming to my house unexpected and ringing my, do- my doorbell, whoever they are. Someday you're going to need to talk to my wife about that. Why? Are we on the same page about that? There have been times my wife has dove Wait, down. I know this about your wife. She's ducked. She has ducked <laughs> away from the window <laughs> when seeing somebody, not like a friend this come a to the door. This is a true introvert. This is why I would yeah. like Carrie. Not yeah. like a friend yeah. coming to the door, but right. maybe uh, Girl Scout cookies. Right, right. Maybe politicians. politicians right. Maybe UPS, Salesman. whatever it is. Uh-huh. She has also yes. taught my children when they were younger. <laughs> Hey, someone's coming. Dive. And I'm like, or do is, they have a gun? I love do your wife. Anything? I love your wife. So okay. again, if you're a friend of ours, she's not diving yes. when you she's come to the door. not real A friends. neighbor, if you're a neighbor, not yes. diving. We're yes. talking like the salesperson, yeah. The, yeah. any of these types of people. But yes, she is dove love down. This. I love this. And then I'm usually Carrie. like, what's going now on? I, I'm like, now I got to answer yeah. the door, yep. don't I? Because they she's, know we're she's here. Like, that was the plan the whole time. <laughs> I more like to, I'd like to make eye contact with the person. And then just keep about my you day. Do? Just sure. like, 
What's up? Hey, I see you two Jehovah's Witnesses at my door. <laughs> but I'm not opening nope, it. Nope. Okay, I feel like I want to go to your more serious one. No, no, you got to do yours. Okay. No, my other one's not serious at all. It's just, it just might get too close to home. I think so. But all right, I, I will mine. tell it to you no matter what. Don't worry. Here's mine. Picture day. Oh, my gosh. I yes. actually tweeted about this. Picture day at school. Rip off. It is. The prices have become so exorbitant for really what is a terrible picture of your kid. Like they're sitting with some random background behind them. Half the time we forget it's picture day. So my kids are a mess. Like yes. their hair's a mess. They're wearing a dirty yes. shirt. Like yes. it's not. Everyone's like, look at the homeless kid in my class. Yeah. <laughs> and then they clearly don't spend time going smile. Give no. me a big and smile. they just take one picture. They take one picture. My kids, I don't know. I'll have to show you some pictures. My kids do not know how to smile in that moment. It's always terrible. It's always <laughs> laughable. But then you have to pay like $45 yeah. for a terrible picture that you're never going to use simultaneously. So then the 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 voice in my head goes, then don't buy the pictures. But, but then to... I got my mom's voice. I got my grandma's voice, my aunt's voice. We want the school pictures. We want you to clip, you know, cut it out and send it to us. And then you got your kids going, mom, why didn't you buy my school picture? Do you I'm not like you. it? So they've tapped in. I mean, it's a brilliant tactic because they've tapped into mom guilt or dad guilt but they've raised their prices, and so you're not going to say no to it. I'm with you. And it grinds my gears. I am with you on that. Uh, as one whose wife uh, like started her own photography company, it is uh, something. So yeah, I'm always like, can you just take their picture? Well, no, it's picture day. Like, right. Oh, my right. gosh. I know. I know. And I'm with you, too. You never know when it's coming you anymore. Never, even if they tell you, you're not really prepared you're for not. it. You're not. Because it's always near the beginning of yeah. the year. Yeah. And my kids inevitably have, like, deodorant on the outside of their shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> We've like, learned a lot about not, your sons here. We're just not a good place for That's picture day. That's a good day. one. Picture day is, uh, no. It's different when they were little and you'd get the class yeah, picture with each of the. It was. They're not they're doing like that on anymore. a little chair. Yeah. And now here's the other thing. Everyone's doing, like, for every club. Jackson got pictures for football. No. And other. And you're like, how many of these do I have right, to do? Right. Graduation and all of this. And you're yeah. like, can we it's just take crazy. our own? But we all have our own we phones. We have our own phones. Take we your have picture. thousands of pictures of our kids. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. You, you want to hit close to home here? I, I'm afraid to, I'm but gonna, I do. I'm going to preface this with, like, this is just... This is a me thing. Okay. This okay. is a me thing. Oh, I'm so nervous. So this is not actually a bad thing that uh, people like you or others probably okay. do. Uh, but I'm, I like for you to learn my idiosyncrasies okay. and the little things that bother me. You ready for it? Yes. People who call their spouse babe. Oh, yeah. I probably, I probably do say babe. Babe. Baby. Hey, babe. babe. Like that? Like, hey, yes. babe. And I don't know. I don't have a good babe. reason like that, that. that bothers me. <laughs> But it 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 does. Do you have bother any me. type of like cutesy sweetie name for your wife, or just Carrie? Or I'll call her Care. I often call her Care, care but not but because not. you care. No, because it shortens her it shortens name. Her name. <laughs> no pet name for your wife. No. Does she call you anything? No. I have some friends that call each other buddy, and that one throws me off. They're like, "Hey, buddy," I'm like, nah. "I think also because Carrie and I used to like have a running joke about." People who call their now their, you, their now other you can't babe. Do it, seriously. Now when I hear people call them yeah. babe, I'm like, babe. You can't do babe. it even like ironically or whatever. What about like pumpkin? Hey, pumpkin. I don't. I, I don't. Maybe <laughs> Wait, it's also because kids? we've been married twenty whatever years now, twenty two. Yeah. I don't feel the need to have a pet name for my wife. What about kiddos? Did you ever call them like hey? Like I call my kids sugar. Hey, sugar. What do you need, sugar? Do nope. you do anything like no, that? No. Like I'll shorten their actual names. Like yeah. Jackson, I've always referred to as Jay. I feel like you, Madeline. Madeline, you don't have I've always love in your life. This makes no. me. Sad. For Madeline, you. I've always referred to as Mads. Emily, yeah. I've always referred to as M. Yeah. Like, yeah. so just shorten them up, 
you know, I I carries care. Maybe, hey, maybe I do. Do I do it with Kevin? I'm trying I'll to think. Of, I bet I do. I, I want I you do. tonight to ask him what he thinks about people who call their spouse babe. Okay, I'll ask. And him. is there a year in your relationship <laughs> where that's no longer accessible? Like, if you, would you think it's cute, or would you think it's weird if like 70 year olds who've been married oh, 50 no, that's years? Cute. That's the cutest. The they call them babe. Yes, 50 years of marriage are still calling each other babe. Are you kidding me? That is the cutest I ever. I, I, I want I their think, picture on my wall. I don't think I have it in me. I believe me. I respect the heck out of people who've been married that long. Just yeah. don't call each other babe. Oh, you're sad. You're a sad, cynical man. Where I'm from. <laughs> Increasingly so. Increasingly so. We're about to ramp up our social media again, Mm -hmm. so we'd love to see you there. We are at Common Good Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Brian, you and I are both parents. Yes. We are not yet grandparents. No. I feel like we're a long way from that. I hope we're a long way from that, but we both are are sitting right in the middle of sort of midlife parenting. Kids are teenagers or almost teenagers. You've got one in college. I did see somebody... Carrie and I saw somebody on Facebook that we went to college with, maybe, mm-hmm. who's a grandparent. No way. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you something? This reminds me of something that happened yesterday. Kevin and I were, or two nights ago, Kevin and I were out on a date night. And we were walking to our local Mexican restaurant for Taco Tuesday. You didn't bring your kids to Taco Tuesday? I thought no. that's a big family tradition. No, we do Taco Thursday as a family. Taco Tuesday <laughs> is date night. <laughs> Just to be clear about our taco nights and our separation. No, we need we needed taco a date Taco Wednesday night. is evangelism. <laughs> taco Friday is, is alone time. <laughs> exactly. You nailed it. So we went on a date. And as we were sitting outside, one of Kevin's friends from high school is out walking his dog walks right by the restaurant. Kevin's like, hey, that's my buddy from high school. We we chat with him for a while. And the whole time, here's what I'm thinking. Man, that guy looks old. Man, that guy's Kevin's friend from high school. That guy's old. And just as I started thinking that, it dawned on me, and I'm the same age. I'm the same age. I am the same age. Yeah, midlife. Midlife. It's happening. We're old. Okay. So Parenting, Brian. Now, you and I no longer have little kids. Do not. uh, But there is a trend in parenting right now known as gentle parenting. Okay. Okay. And gentle parenting comes from um, being a calm parent. There's a book called The Gentle Parenting Book. And essentially what gentle parenting is, it's it's practical, kind of a how-to aspect of parents that you... um, What do you do? You honor and affirm what children are struggling with. So you emotionally validate your children when they're not sleeping. You're not saying to them like, hey, you just need to go to bed. You're talking about why they're not sleeping, why they're struggling with sleeping. You're laughing at the faces Um, I'm making at this. (laughs) I am. Brian's making faces at me. It's really, really funny. I'm trying to think of another example. Another example would be like... um, uh, you're not supposed to say certain things like we don't hit people. You know how parents will say that to their kids. We don't throw food. These parenting experts in gentle parenting say that that's condescending. Um, children need to learn how to speak to adults. Children needs to have the same respect as adults, that kind of thing. Okay. So that's the, the general, does that make sense about what gentle parenting sure. is? All right. Well, now There are some parents who have been trying to be gentle parents for a while 
that are starting to realize it's not working. You think? <laughs> so they're giving an example here uh, at the New, uh, New, uh, New York Times about how, or about the, at the New Yorker, excuse me, about how a parent was trying to get their toddler to put on their shoes. But toddlers, being toddlers, don't yep. want to put on their shoes, are causing a scene. This parent tried to do gentle parenting, tried to remain unruffled, tried to help understand why the kid doesn't want to put on their shoes. Anyway, ultimately, this parent, for example, realized at some point the kid just needs to put on their shoes yep. because I'm the parent and they're the kid and we have to get out the door. So essentially what they're saying is there are some problems with the gentle parenting technique. Being a parent of older kids, what are your thoughts on this idea of gentle parenting? I not at all surprised that it's not working. Yeah. That there's problems. There comes a point. Aubrey, I do appreciate. So let me lay my cards on the table. Okay. When my kids were little, uh, I ne- I didn't spank them. Yeah, we didn't so spank our kids either. I didn't spank my children. So I don't want to come across as like this old school harsh. Yeah. But what you're describing there, if you're trying to reason with a five-year-old, right. you're trying to reason with a three-year-old why they should go to bed. No. Like, yeah, maybe when they're teenagers, you start changing how you do things. But this sounds like just psychobabble mumbo jumbo that is going to leave you frustrated. I guess I would put it this way. At some point, you're the parent. They're the child. They learn their boundaries and they learn their expectations from us as parents saying, hey, Jimmy. Hey, Johnny. uh, When I tell you to put your shoes on, you put your shoes on. And if you don't, there's going to be consequences. Hey, when I tell you to eat your vegetables, hey, when I tell you to be nice to your brother or sister, when I tell you not to cross the road without looking, there's consequences when you don't obey me. Like you've got, we have to keep the hierarchy of parent yeah, child yeah. in play here. This doesn't mean that we all need to be in the 1940s. Absolutely. And like working our kids yeah. or, or like, you know, dad's going to be home to, you know, get his belt buckle. Right. I, I'm not saying that that's how you have to be. No. Carrie and I took things that other parents were like, what are you doing? Our kids slept in our bed with us yeah. for a lot of years. All of these types right. of things. But what this is describing, this pendulum is going to swing back here. I think so, too. I th- Absolutely. I think so, too. So I, I would agree with you that th- this is, you want to affirm, like, there's some really good things about this. Affirm their heart, parent their heart. When they're feeling upset, uh, you know, you have to be sensitive to those things. Find out what's going on. But here's an example of where this has gone too far. So there was a mother who... Um, w- Asked about her young son. Her young son hit and kicked her. So the son hit and kicked the the mother. Yes, hit and kicked the mother. After she told him he needed to take a break from playing to do some cleaning. Okay. Okay. So then apparently, um, (laughs) if this is the philosophy uh, from one of the experts of gentle pairing said to the mom, if you don't want him to hit you. You need to look at your part, mom. No, no. In what no. uh what caused that because your son is clearly hitting and kicking you because he wants you to be present with him. No, the kid is kicking and hitting you because it's a kid. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's where this goes too far. Like if a kid is hitting and kicking their mom, that's not okay. You just stop. No, we don't hit or kick in this right. house. You know, and I don't think a parent should uh you know, I've seen some parents who will like spank their kids for hitting another kid and mm-hmm. i that's a whole conversation up for debate we don't need to get into but you don't go what part am i playing no. in my child they no. really need my attention right now no don't reward the kicking and the hitting 
Maybe I'm more of an old school parent than you're not. This is I think most people listen to this who have ever had kids is going. This is lunacy. Yeah, this is lunacy. If your kid, you kids, kids act out. Kids don't obey. Kids do all of this stuff. Right. You know how they learn to obey? Uh, You know, they learn not to hit and kick mom is when they go, Okay, there's consequences to your actions. Yeah. This goes back to the old like. My primary role, I want to be friends with my children. Of course. But my primary role is, to is not to them. be friends with my yeah, children. It yeah. is to parent them and yeah. to be the authority figure and to mold them. And that looks different at the age of three, the age of 10, right. the age of 15. Those right. look different. But right. at no point do I go, oh, it's okay. Kick mom. Because that's going to grow. That's, that's going to That disrespect grow. That's is I'm just going to grow, grow, grow. That disrespect is only going to get worse and worse and worse. And suddenly the kid's taking over and... They become that kid that nobody likes too, right? You are raising yeah. somebody who is going to be a nightmare yeah, to be a around. a nightmare to be around. All right, so that's some of the harsh reality of gentle parenting. And we are thrilled to be joined by a mutual friend of ours, Louis Dooley. He is the executive director of Philemon House. They do Bible studies in jails and prisons. They have a house for youth coming out of prison to live and get their lives on track. Do an incredible, incredible ministry he has an annual fundraiser coming up that we want to talk to him about. But, Lewis, we're so glad that you're with us today. Man, thank you guys so much for having me, man. It's always a, a pleasure and an honor to get a chance to spend time with you all on the air. Mm-hmm. So, Lewis, I would love to back up just a little bit before we talk about your ministry and talk about the fundraiser. Tell us a little bit about your story and how that led to what you're doing today. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So it really was born out of my own uh, mistakes that I made in life as a young man at 19 and being sentenced to life in 100 years in prison and not having really any direction and not even wanting to live life. And uh, just out of those circumstances, you know, it led me to want to take my own life, but God had a different plan and led a, a young man to me who was waiting to go to trial for murder to give me a Bible study. And, um, you know, that changed my life forever. I ended up giving my life to Christ mm-hmm. and Things have never been the same. Mm. Been about 15 and a half years in prison. Uh, by the grace of God, I got out. And after a year and a half, the Lord said, I'll let you out just so I could send you back in. So mm. <laughs> it kind of was almost like I didn't have a choice. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a joy to be able to be obedient and serve the Lord. That's awesome, Luth. It's so good to hear stories of redemption, right? It's so good to hear these types of stories. Uh, You're the executive director of something called the Philemon House. So why don't you tell us what that is? What is Philemon House? Yeah, good question. So it's it's several things. It's a a prison and jail ministry overall, but there are several different facets. Uh, One of them is going into institutions and helping guys connect with Jesus, you know, through the Word of God and sitting down, doing old-school, old-fashioned, having a book in front of you. I know that's different than a lot of people these days, but having a book called the Bible in front, and we get into the Word of God, and we pray, and we wrestle with the Scriptures on how they can impact our lives and, and essentially, hopefully, lead them to saving faith in Jesus. And then the next thing is helping guys when they get out to connect them with services they may need, whether it be transportation, clothing, food, housing, a job. Um, And then the newest endeavor we have is actual house, just the name Philemon House. Well, we have a house where my wife and I live, and Mm. we're welcoming some young men, um, you ages 16 to early 20s, that get out of incarceration to come and, and help them um, see what a family setting looks like, mm-hmm. something that may be very different than they once had or maybe never had. 
And then just to love on them and help them get education, help them connect with Jesus, and help them find a career and not just a job. Mm. And then kind of set them off in a positive trajectory to where they can live life on purpose for what God has for them and maybe even help change their family legacy. Oh, I love that so much, Lewis. And you have an annual fundraiser coming up Saturday, November 5th. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so we do, it's typical of not-for-profit world, right, to have some kind of dinner, some kind of fundraiser. And we're no different in that. So it's at Chandler's, which is the golf course in Schaumburg on Roselle Road. It's like you said, November 5th from 6 to 8 p.m. It's a free dinner. It's really good food. And we just want to kind of um, pray first mm. and say, God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your ministry because it's not our ministry. And then to just highlight some things um, and work that God is doing and invite people to join and be a part of that, whether it be praying with us, whether it be going into a jail or prison, mentoring a youth or mentoring an adult that's inside, helping walk with a guy on the outside, or maybe it's contributing some gifts and talents you have for our house. And maybe if you have some money that the Lord has entrusted to you and God is saying, hey, I want you to help them with their financial needs. And we just want you to be faithful to what the Lord is calling you to and do whatever God says. Mm. Do. That's awesome. Lewis, help us understand people out there might give very little thought to what God is doing in prisons, to that there's even anything going on. Uh, paint a picture for people out there of uh, kind of some of the miracles that are happening in prisons right now. Yeah, well, I mean, man, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's not too different than the outside, mm. other than guys being confined, mm. except there's more extreme stories. Mm. You know, the typical person that hasn't been incarcerated has a story, but it may not be a crime story. And a lot of the crime stories are born out of tragedy and hurt that has shaped them and molded them to be the person that they are today. And so it's it's trying to see the miracle of them embracing their story, number one, understanding that God has healing for that trauma that they endured. Number two is understanding that Jesus can heal them of that trauma if they wrestle with it. And number three, that that trauma in their decisions that led them to incarceration doesn't have to define their future and that they can be that new man in Christ that 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about, and they can live in the freedom of that. And so the, the miracle is seeing a guy that knows nothing but drug dealing, saying mm-hmm. I'm done with dealing drugs, but now I'm going to deal the gospel. Or seeing that guy that's, that's banging, that's out there fighting and shooting yeah. people, saying, man, instead of me taking life, I want to be a proponent of life and that living water that Jesus talks about. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks the same when it's a life change, but again, it's just that extreme because the look is different, the mm-hmm. feel is different, but they're human beings who have sometimes just been caught, and some people out here haven't, but they've done some extreme things, and we can see in God's Word through the story of, like, Joseph, um, through through other people who's been incarcerated, Paul and Silas, when they exercised mm-hmm. that demon out of that young girl and did nothing wrong, mm-hmm. and how they sang hymns to God and how he shook the earth and shook the prison. We can see guys incarcerated um, that we know God works and does mm-hmm. miracles. Oh, amen. Lewis, one of the things I appreciate about Philemon House is that you mentioned this. There are five key areas you provide training in, spiritual, personal, financial, educational, occupation, is there a story of, of, you know, someone you've been doing ministry with for a while that you've just seen like, man, they've really gotten this and you've seen God do something incredible in their life? Yeah, you know, I would like to tell you yes, and I got all kinds of stories, but the, the reality, Aubrey, is that the percentage of guys embracing all of this stuff 
um, is really low. Yeah. And it's because un- until we had the house, just picture a guy or a gal getting out of incarceration, doesn't matter how much time they've done, but not having a stable environment mm-hmm. to go back to. And now to try to figure out how to institute these five areas of education that we want to instill in them, there's the the location barrier, right, because we're just a few people and we can't travel all over the world every day. Right. Uh, we have them sometimes not having a place where they're living. So the first thing is let's find them someplace to live. Then you have the temptation of their old people, places, and things drawing them back in. And so as you're trying to disciple at a distance, if you will, it's really challenging. And that's why we decided we want to have a place where these people can actually live. Mm. And we can't take everyone in, but with us and Arbor, you've been in the juvenile prison with us. I remember playing kickball. <laughs> and it was great. It was out of the comfort zone, but you were a champ. You were a champ. <laughs> I did my best, Lewis. <laughs> That's but, great. But it was, it, so you've seen yeah. some of these young people, and, and you don't know all their stories, but they all have challenges. And so we just thought these young people have so much potential. They just need a safe environment. They need some positive people in their lives, and they can do great God-honoring things. And so that's why the house was kind of born out of this vision God Mm -hmm. gave us to say, hey, it's so tough at a distance. And even if we had like a rec center or some church that let us use their building, the people still have to get there. So transportation is huge because we live in a big area in Chicago, in the Chicagoland suburbs. And so we said, we got to do something different, and it's radical because we're living uh, with someone right now who's a great young man who I'm actually sitting in the parking lot as he's getting his first physical for school. Oh, mm. nice. Lewis, it's so good to hear your story, man. It's so mm-hmm. good to have you catch up uh, with us again. Remind people, where can they connect with you? Social media, where can they hear more about Philemon House? But also, if they want to get uh, go to this fundraiser, where can they sign up? Yeah, you know, and so so one of the needs of somebody listening that that is good at a lot of things that deal with the computer or a laptop, man, I could use some help with that. So <laughs> I don't have like a QR code or any of that cool, trendy stuff. <laughs> I'm an old school, old fashioned guy. So you can literally call or text me at 618-520-6367. You can call Lewis, you can text Lewis, and I'll get back with you and I can give you more information. Um, if you just want to know general information, you can go to our website at philemonhouse.org. Um, and th- that's really about it. I right. mean, I'm hoping that next year we can kind of turn the corner where we can have some cool and trendy stuff. But right now, you know, just, just shoot me a text or shoot me a call and uh, I will respond and we can chop it up and I can give you more information. <laughs> that awesome. is awesome. Again, you can go to philemonhouse.org and the annual fundraiser for Philemon House is coming up on Saturday, November th- 5th at Chandler's Banquets in Schaumburg. Or send Lewis a text, and he'll tell you more about <laughs> Lewis Dooley, the executive director of Philemon House. Lewis, thanks so much for being thanks, here bud. with us today. Hey, thank you guys so much, man. It's a blessing and honor, man. I pray that the Lord continue to use you guys to impact people's life for his kingdom. Take care, and God bless. You too. Oh, bless you, too. Brian, you and I have had conversations about this term quiet quitting quiet in the past. Quitting. You know what's funny is I have heard it come up more and more and more in conversations, especially with uh, Gen Z folks who are embracing uh, quiet quitting as like a really good idea. I've heard it, it is, as well. It is sweeping the nation. Can you explain uh, to our listeners what quiet quitting is? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not even have. It doesn't even have to do with actual quitting. Right. But it is taking an approach to your job that says, I'm only going to do uh, what my job description says I'm going to do. 
and I'm not going to do anything more. Yeah. Uh, and it's being couched under, I need a good work-life balance. You'll hear a lot work-life balance. You'll hear a lot of like, this is for my mental health. All good things. Yep. Uh, but the pushback has been, listen, especially when you're young, like you have to outwork everybody or mm-hmm. other people. And we've seen a lot of entrepreneurs and stuff, the Mark Cubans of the world or some others. But this is a bad idea at a young age to be teaching people, because if all you're going to do is just exactly what your job description says and you're never going to go above and beyond, then you're never going to advance. And what other people, proponents of it have said, wait, you're telling me I... I'm I'm somehow wrong for doing what I'm supposed to do yeah. and I want to have a life outside of right, work. And so right. there's been a real debate going on mm-hmm. right now that feels generational. It is generational. And it feels like also where do we get not just our worth, but like where do where do different people decide they're going to put their focus? Like if mm-hmm. you're a money focused person and a career advancement per- person, this is a really bad idea. If you're like, hey, I just want to make enough money to have a, a happy yeah. life, and I want to travel, and I want to do this, and that might be a good idea. Might be a good idea. So Gallup recently did a survey about quiet quitting county workers who report being neither engaged nor actively disengaged at work, and they found that these quiet quitters make up of at least half of the U.S. workforce. That number surprised me. Half of the U.S. workforce are quiet quitters right now. Gallup's data doesn't really show a sizable shift in how workers feel about their jobs over the last few years, suggesting that quiet quitting could be a normal feature of the American workplace. One area where the data did show a somewhat significant change, however, was among younger workers. The percentage of engaged employees under the age of 35 dropped by six percentage points from 2019 to 2022, Gallup finds, suggesting that while feeling meh about work may be part of the course for a lot of Americans, it may be gathering momentum among Gen Zs and millennials. So this is the age group. I have had two conversations with Gen Zers who have said to me, hey, Aubrey, you know that thing, quiet quitting? And I'm like, yeah, I do know that. They're like, I think I'm going to start doing that at work. But they mean it as <laughs> like, talked them into it. this is a really good idea Interesting. For, for my workplace environment. Do you environment. push them? Do you ask them? What, yeah, tell me about I, that. I ask them, tell me about that. What do you mean? Are you wanting to? So I, this may be a generational difference like we've talked about. To me, quiet quitting says, oh, you don't like your job and you're just trying to coast. I don't think that's how Gen Z is interpreting it or even using the term. But that's how, as an older person, I'm like, do not do that unless you want to lose your job. That is not a good Mm. idea. Um, But I realized that, uh, again, this may be just a totally like generational miss. Mm. Um, NPR actually reached out to listeners to get their perspectives on quiet quitting. And some don't like the name because of Because it has the word quitting in it. Yeah. So here's some rebranding alternatives. Reverse hustle. (laughs) I'm not sure that's any better. I don't know if that's better. Work-life integration yeah. instead of work-life word balance. salad right there. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yep. Acting your wage. What do you think about that one? <laughs> instead of acting your age. Okay, this one I don't think is better. Workforce disassociation. No. That's just like you're quitting, right? Okay. Yeah, you know, I was, uh, I was at Lollapalooza and I heard workforce disassociation. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> All right, corporate coasting. No. Okay, here's one. What do you think about this one? Working at work. No, see, none of these work. I I don't know. I think this is because I don't think this can have a title. I think it's just a description of how do you view work. Yeah. Um, Because we were raised in the generation, again, to make us feel old. Yep. Uh, We were raised in the generation that said, you know what, especially when you're just out of college, Mm -hmm. you got to hustle. 
Right. And that's how you get, quote unquote, ahead. That's how right. you, quote unquote, climb the corporate ladder. I suppose if the next generation doesn't care about that, yeah. I don't know what that says about them. And I don't know what it says about us, like uh, our generation, because it is weird. The generation above us, they didn't take time off, but they did tend to, because of technology and stuff, it was a lot more nine to five-ish, right? Yeah, like yeah this. it was. It was definitely more Maybe you more and I are just five. from the generation where I, I've told you before, like some of my friends from high school making ton of money now, yeah. but they worked at big, you know, trading companies or banks mm-hmm. in New York City coming out of college mm-hmm. and they were working 90, 100 hours a week. Right. And if they had gone to their bosses and been like, you know what, for work-life <laughs> balance, for my own mental health, yeah. I need to do this. I don't think they would have kept their jobs. They wouldn't have. And they wouldn't have the, the finances or the means but they have today. you and I are pastors and we often talk about burnout in the pastor yeah. world and it's that... I will say this. I'm not sure I've ever had a hard time with work-life balance. I'm not sure I've ever overworked. but And I'm saying that as one with two jobs at the moment. But right, right. I still tend, every time I read quiet quitting, I still think maybe I'm just ingrained with American, you know, like exceptionalism. Yeah. We're going to work and we're going to climb the corporate yeah. ladder. but. Still seems like a bad life practice to me. You don't want to get burned out and run over. No, if it truly is about work life balance, I think that's one thing, but it seems like it's just like sort of coasting at your job, which I don't see how that leads to even joy in your own like work satisfaction. Here's some quotes that NPR said their audience members shared some real life experiences with their own version of quiet quitting. Uh, Someone named Sarah M., she's a department manager, said, since COVID, I feel like my priorities, values, who and what are important to me have shifted drastically. I now leave my office at the end of the day, not thinking about what I need to work on when I go home at night. That feels healthy, right? I set boundaries for checking my emails and reaching out to coworkers during non-office hours. Great. I think that's also healthy. Most importantly, I do not feel any bit of anxiety when it comes to requesting time off, taking personal days, or especially taking sick time. Before it was something I would agonize over. Now it's something I do without hesitation or worry. To me, that's just like, yeah, that's healthy. I just think it goes too far. Like, think about yourself. You're a pastor and an author, right? Yes. Yep. What if you're like, you know what? I'm only going to write my books between nine and four. Mm-hmm. And at four o'clock, I'm done. well, that might be healthy, but also might double the time it takes for you to Get your book done. Yeah, absolutely. And so we all need to make our life choices. I would just caution people in their mid-20s at a time where you have less responsibility in this and that to just, I would just caution against this. Tell me, I mean, just say why, because I agree with you, but say why. Because it doesn't breed success or doesn't doesn't breed success. I think it sets you up for later on of... Um, of not being where you want to be in your career. That's what I think. I also think it is a really fine line from quiet quitting the laziness. Mm. It's a fine line. And I know that's not what it is. Yeah. But I would say it's not a big jump. Yeah. And and maybe as long as your bosses are older, you should be mindful of that. Now, yes. once all the Gen Zs become bosses, then maybe, maybe this maybe won't we'll be a problem. we 30-hour weeks. Yeah, in. maybe so. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, we'll probably talk about quiet quitting in the future as it seems to be more and more of a trend. Well, we will be back again tomorrow. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.